And I hope that uh, you've been enjoying uh, your Easter weekend, and I hope that this is going to be a tremendous highlight for you this morning as we tackle Revelation chapter 22 together. I would encourage you to have your Bible open. A lot of the scriptures will come up on the screen, but some of it won't, and I'd like you to uh, really encourage you to just have, have your nose in the Bible as, uh, as I go this morning. And uh, just before I start, let me, let me pray. Father, your word tells us that uh, your power is perfected and matured in weakness. And the weak message of a weak Christ to the world is your power to save us. And your power raised Jesus from the dead. And I pray this morning that you may strengthen me in my weakness to proclaim your word, to encourage the hearts of your people. And it may even please you this morning to give life to the dead. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, there's a, there's a title for you. It is, it is Foolish Hope Part 2. And I, the title for this morning from Revelation 22 is The Resurrected Universe. The Resurrected Universe. And I'm going to try and take uh, the whole chapter, uh, not detail in every aspect, but take the most of it. Now, you might think, just looking at that this morning and listening to the reading, you might think it's a wee bit strange for me to bring you a message from Revelation 22 on this Resurrection Sunday. But here's what we've got to realize. The resurrection of Jesus does not just guarantee our resurrection from the dead, but the resurrection of Jesus guarantees the resurrection of the universe. And that's what Revelation 22 is about. It is about the resurrection of the universe. Now let me put a little bit of a context for you as we have a look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6, which is a couple of chapters back. And look at what it says. It says, Blessed are and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. If there is a first resurrection, there is a, a second resurrection. Resurrection. If there is a first death, there is a second death. Christians now have had the first resurrection. Let me show it to you. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. And we, we picked it up in that song alive, didn't we? And because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us, made us alive. He, he resurrected us with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up. God resurrected us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you have experienced the first resurrection. You have been made alive. You have been raised up with Christ, spiritually speaking. You've been made alive to have a new relationship with God through Christ. But we're still waiting for what? We're still waiting for the second resurrection. 
We're still waiting for the time when our bodies will be raised from the dead. That's the anticipation of the Christian that we're looking forward to the second resurrection, to, to the time when our bodies will be raised up physically into a new resurrected universe. And right at the start this morning, I want to ask you, Christian, are you looking forward to your second resurrection from the dead? Is there a Baptist amen out there somewhere? How about an Anglican one? Any prayers bees here? We'll take the whole lot this morning. Look how, uh, <laughs> look how Paul puts this. I'll show it to you in just a moment. Do you realize that, that it's not just you as a Christian that should be looking forward to your anticipation of the, of the next resurrection, but even creation is waiting for it. Did you know that? Even the whole of creation is anticipating and waiting and longing for you to be raised from the dead. Did you know that? Let me show it to you. Uh, in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, for the creation waits in eager, eager anticipation for what? For the children of God to be revealed. Creation waiting for you to be raised from the dead. Now, what Revelation 22 does is it shows us what our physical resurrected lives will look like. What is resurrected living in a resurrected universe? What does that look like? That's what this passage answers. And as we go towards the passage, there is one question we have to ask of this passage especially verses 1 to 5. It is the question of questions, what is it? If you look at verses 1 to 5, what question should you be asking? I'll give you a clue. Is it symbolic or literal? What do you think? Is it symbolic or is it literal? And I'll give you a very simple answer. Yes. Yes. Why? Because... It is symbolically literal. Or if you want to flick it around, it is literally symbolic. Now, if that sounds oxymoronic, let me explain. The Bible is absolutely clear that there is a physical new heavens and new earth coming. Did you know that? That, that is a literal, physical, resurrected universe it's coming. Let me show it to you. Back in the Old Testament, Isaiah 65. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. If you've got your Bible open, flick back one chapter, 21, 1 of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, because the first earth and the, and the first heaven had they'd passed away and there was no longer any sea. So what, you, you, what you're looking forward to, Christian, is a brand new physical resurrected heaven and earth. It's not new in time and origin. It's new in kind and quality. There are second resurrected living. It's not in sort of like being disembodied spirits where we're floating around like Casper among God's heavenly mansion sipping on spiritual fruit juice. Because Jesus was physically raised from the dead. We will be physically raised from the dead to live in a physically resurrected new heavens and new earth. That's the literalness of Revelation 22. But what Revelation 22 then does, it goes on in those first verses especially, it goes on to describe in symbolic terms 
what that resurrected life will look like. And as, and as a picture is painted, John sees things that are drawn from all parts of the Bible. So get your nose into the Bible. This is not on the screen. Have a look at 22 verse 1, where it says that John saw the river of the water of life. Do you see that? It's a river of water of life, and, and, it's, and it's running down the middle of the street. Do you see the blending of the pictures? What does John see? Does he see a garden or does he see a city? The answer is yes. He, he sees both. It's a, it's a garden city. And then he sees a lamb. And, and, and it's a picture because, because when you meet Jesus, you won't see him as a woolly lamb. You see him face to face. We'll come to that. But notice in verse 2, on, on either side of the river, there is the, there's the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now let me try and give you a picture, but here's, it's really hard because I say to, to you this morning with the Australian commentator Barnett, he said, when you look at this river going down the middle of the street and the tree of life on either side, it's an absolutely impossible picture to, to imagine because it's not a river going down a street with one tree on either side. The picture is actually multitude of trees. It's like an orchard of trees. It's trees of life. That's what the Greek is. That's the picture. It's trees and rows and rows and rows and rows of the trees of life alongside this river that's going down a street, which Revelation 21 tells us is a street of gold. Holy smoke. It's a symbolic picture of, 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 of an incredible physical reality. And then notice verse 2 also tells us of the symbolic nature of, of, of the physical picture because it says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Clearly symbolic. And then look at verse 4. There's a symbolism again. As we're told as believers that on our foreheads we're going to have imprinted or tattooed or stamped. We're going to have his name stamped on our foreheads. Now, you know, we're not going to walk around having Jesus on our head in the new heavens and the new earth. It's clearly symbolic. Symbolic of what? That we belong to Jesus. We belong to him. We always will. It'll never end. It's eternity. But then... Look at verse 4 again, if you've got your Bible. It says that we will see him face to face. Here is a literal aspect. And I'll come to this again. Do you, do you realize that we will see him, Jesus, face to face? And we know that's literal because in, have a look at this. I think I've got this one on the screen. 1 John, here it is, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Looking forward to that second resurrection. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall, what? We will see him as he is. We will see him face to face. So, all that to say this, Revelation 22 is literally symbolic, or it's symbolically literal. It's not one or the other. And you have to be work very hard and have discernment to know which aspects are literal, which aspects are sim um, symbolic, and then you put it all together. You get it? You with me? Let me pull out two things from this resurrected physical universe. What's our resurrected lives going to look like? And I'll give it to you in a couple of words. Firstly, notice in verse 3, there is no curse. This is the picture. 
The picture in front of you is one of a never-ending flowing river of life. It is, it, that, that is watering endless trees of life. And where the trees of the, uh, the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And there's the key to understanding. There will be no curse. What you've got is a symbolic picture to portray that in the new heavens and new earth, there is the totality of eternal bliss and perfection. And as I said earlier, what John's doing is he's drawing pictures and illustrations and even metaphors from all over the Bible. So have a look, verse 1 again. The river of life in verse 1 that's going down the middle of the, of the street. It picks up Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. Remember the river? Where did it flow? It went through the garden and then went where? Out into the rest of the world. The street of the city picks up the streets of gold in Revelation 21. Uh, the tree of life, picking up the tree of life in Genesis chapter 2 again. But again here, it's not one tree. It's not two trees. It's multitudes. It's orchards of trees. Now let me show you something. And, 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 and notice, here's where Johnny pulls in imagery and pictures from places like Psalm 67 and Ezekiel 47. Let me show you Ezekiel 47. Look at this. Tell me if this is where John is drawing from. Fruit trees. This is what Ezekiel sees. Here's the image of Ezekiel. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of the river. There's Revelation 22. The leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, Revelation 22. But because the water from the sanctuary flows to them, and their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for what? Healing, Revelation 22. A symbolic picture of literal life flourishing without sin. And look at this as uh, John picks up the words of Jesus in John 4.14. But whoever drinks the water I give them, they will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The new heavens and the new earth that is coming, it will be a place of flourishing of life without the curse. It will be without the presence of sin for, every, for, for people of every tribe and nation and language and culture. And then we should be asking, well, who are these people? Who are these tribes and peoples and nations? And who are they that, that go into this resurrected life? Who are they? Now have a look at the passage in verse 14. Which says, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go into the gates of the city. There it is, the garden and the city image together. Who are they that go into this paradise of resurrected living? It is they who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, symbolically of those who have put their faith in Jesus, those who have trusted His death to save them and forgive them and give them new life and make them alive with Christ now. Those are the people. Those who trust that Jesus died on Friday and He rose on Sunday. They, they will go into the resurrected new life. This garden city in front of you, it exudes life, vitality, healing, goodness, abundance, wholeness. It's a place of unequaled and unparalleled 
paradise where the traces of the curse are gone. Sin is gone. Death is gone. Sickness is gone. All the tears are wiped away. They're gone. The only tears that are left will be tears of joy. Have a look at it in Revelation 21 and verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Do you realize, Christian, that there will be absolutely no bitterness in the sweetness of our resurrected life? There is no bitterness. We will drink from Christ's unadulterated glory, sinless perfection. If I can use the imagery, swimming as it were in eternal happiness, eternal joy, eternal delight, and a resurrection, brothers and sisters, where there is no ability to sin. Are you looking forward to that? Do you remember Adam and Eve in the garden? And remember they were made perfect, right? But what was the one thing they actually had the ability to do? They had the ability to sin. In the new heavens, in the new earth, in the new resurrected paradise, we will have no ability to sin. I mean, think about it. Would you want the ability to sin? I hope not. Look where that got us. Freedom only to obey. Freedom only to enjoy Christ. No thank you to the freedom to sin. Yuck. And notice verse 3 where it says that we will serve God, the Father, and the Lamb, who is Jesus. We're going to serve God, the Father, and the Lamb. I, 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 came up, well, I didn't came up with this word, but I found it. It was such a great word. It's called bucolic. Bucolic. The new heavens and the new earth will not be idle, bucolic inactivity. Which basically means that the new resurrection will not be a leisurely lazy, countryside sort of living like in Esperance where Penny and Grant live. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. In the, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be an energetic serving of Christ. And there will be an energetic serving of one another. Now look at verse 5. It says there will be no more night for the Lord God will give us light. It doesn't mean there won't be the moon and the sun and the stars. That's not what it means. The absence of darkness means the absence of sin. Just like the absence of the sea in Revelation 21 does not mean there won't be any sea in the new heavens and new earth. It means there will be an abscess, an absence, absence of, of chaos and evil. The new heavens and the new earth will be a place where there is absolutely no trace of the curse. Are you looking forward to it? I think Mackenzie's face was very excited about that as well. Secondly, from the passage, we'll see Jesus face to face. Now, let me just ask you this question for a moment. Have you ever wondered what it would have been like to be Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall? Ever wondered that? But here's the question. What do you think the best part was? You read Genesis 1 and 2 and you go, what was the best part of being there? 
Surely, surely it was this. Surely. Then the man and his wife, so marriage is not the most important bit. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Surely the best thing before sin entered was that Adam and Eve could walk with God in the cool of the day, however that worked out. Surely, surely the most important thing that we're looking forward to is what? Seeing Jesus, what? Face to face. Look at verse 4. They will see His it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? That the day that Adam and Eve sinned is they lost the presence of God. The day that they sinned, they were, they, were, they were no longer able to eat of the tree of life. The day that they sinned, they were banished from the garden. The day they sinned, they weren't allowed back into the garden. We go through the whole of the Old Testament and God builds a tabernacle and He builds a temple, but people were excluded from God's presence in the Holy of Holies. You couldn't get in there. You couldn't get to God. Only one person once a year could go in there, a high priest, and heaven help him, he put a foot wrong because he would be dead. And God would have, the people had to pull him out with a chain. And here's the thing. You and I in the first resurrection, we've been raised from the dead. We've got a relationship with Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Spirit is within us. But we don't see Jesus face to face. Yes, we commune now through the Spirit, but we don't see Him. We've never seen Him, and we want to see Him. And look at verse 4. It says, we'll see His face. It must be, it must be talking about Jesus because Jesus is the glorified God-man. Right? Before Jesus came to earth, he was spirit. He then becomes man. And when he rises from the dead and goes back to his father, he doesn't shed his humanity. So we will see the glorified God man, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God on the throne. We will see him face to face. Now, the father doesn't have a body. And. We're really not told much about the form of the Father, except for 1 Timothy 1.6, where it says that the Father is immortal and He lives in unapproachable light. Now, here's the thing. We're touching the, we're touching the mysteries of mysteries here. Yeah, what form does the Father have? I don't know how we're going to see the form of the Father, but we will see Jesus. And if we see Jesus, we've seen the Father, because if you've seen Christ, you've, you've seen the Father. What is it? What is this resurrected paradise gonna gonna be like? Surely, surely it's like this. From the great words of the great old hymn, "Blessed Assurance," it'll we'll get there. Surely it will be like perfect communion, perfect delight. There'll be visions of rapture that burst on our sight. For eternity, Christ. I think we'll see angels descending, bring from above. We'll hear eternal echoes of mercy and whispers of his love forever. You know that when, when we get there, when, when we get there, we'll see him. There won't be any curtains. There won't be any holy of holies. There won't be any barriers. There won't be any obstacles. 
We'll see him face to face. And look at the passage again. It says we will reign with him forever. And this one's for you, Paul, because you were asking me about it. What does it mean? What does it mean to reign with Christ? What does that mean? Well, think back to Adam and Eve. What, what, what were Adam and Eve told to do before the, before the fall? What were they told to do? Paul? Huh? Not sure? What they were told to do was to reign. They were told to reign over the earth. They were told to rule over the earth. They were told to, to, to have dominion over it and, 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 and go and work it and explore it and enjoy it. And all that got messed up. So if we're going to reign with Christ, what does it mean? We're going to reign over the universe. We're going to have dominion over this new universe. We're going to go and explore it and enjoy it forever and ever with everything else that God puts in there. Animals and the whole lot. But don't take the animals too far. Not sure our dogs are getting resurrected, but there might be dogs there. Especially when you have to take them to the vet late at night. Come to that moment. What's it going to be like? No curse and face to face, right? Now. What John does from verses 6 to 21, he closes the book, he closes the chapter, and I'm going to close this message from these verses. 6 to 21 is the application of what you've just seen, what you've just feasted on with your eyes in that vision, what you've seen and heard with John. How do you respond? What's the, what are the implications? And I'm just going to give you three. Here's the first one. It's true. It's true. Look at verse 6. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Go down to verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. Sort of racking my head a little bit. I wonder why the angel needed to come to John and say, John, this is true. I wonder why. There's, a, there's an old expression. I hope I've got this one, one right. If, if, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably, it's probably false, right? Is that right? Is that the expression? John's probably looking at this and going, is this true? This is too good to be true. It's too, oh, I can't believe this. It's, 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 it's so good. And it's true. It's true. Verse 14 again, those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, this is, this is it. This is where we go. This is where it ends. You're going to unending paradise. And when is it happening? Can you see it in the passage? When does it all happen? Verse 7, look, I'm coming soon. Verse 10, because the time is near. Look, I'm coming soon. Verse 12, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am Coming soon. Now you say soon, 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 soon. How many years has it been? 2022. It doesn't mean soon as in soon. The word soon is best probably translated. I'm coming suddenly. I'm coming suddenly. I'm going to come like that. I'm going to come when you least expect I'm going to come. It's going to be dramatic and instant and unexpected. It's going to be sudden. I don't know if it's 2,000 years, 4,000 years. Who knows who? But it will come suddenly in the twinkling of an eye. The trumpet will blast and 
my goodness, Jesus Christ will bring the endless resurrected new heavens and new earth. And I want to ask you this morning, is that your hope? Is this your hope? Is this where it's going for you? Is this what you're looking forward to, my brother and sister? But what if you're not forgiven? What if you're not one of God's children? What if you haven't washed your robes in the blood of the Lamb? In other words, what if you haven't been forgiven by what Christ did on the cross? What if you don't trust that Jesus died on Friday and he rose on Sunday? What, what are you looking forward to then? Have a look at it in verse 15. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now remember, it's, not, it's, 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 it's literally symbolic. What, 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 what is being described here is something symbolic. So the picture is not this. It's not a literal picture in the sense that you know, all the Christians are inside the city, all locked in, and, and all the non-Christians are on the outside. The gates are locked, and they're all looking inside, wishing they could get in. That's not, that's not, that's not what it is. But it is symbolically representing that those who have not had their, their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb, they'll be where? They'll be outside. They'll, they'll be excluded from the presence of God. They'll be excluded from the, the presence of Christ. They'll be excluded from the, from the pleasures of God at His right hand forever. They will not be in the new heavens and the new earth. They'll be in a place called hell, suffering eternally for their rejection of the glorious Lamb of God who was slain and rose. I want to ask you today, on this Resurrection Sunday 2022, if Jesus came back today and he brought the resurrected new heavens and earth today, where would you be? Where would you be? Would you be on the inside or on the outside? Would you be on the inside in glory and paradise? Or would you be on the outside, excluded in hell because of your rejection of Christ? Where would you be? And if you sit here this morning and say, well, I, 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 that's not me. I, I, I have rejected Christ. I don't know Christ. I haven't believed on Him. I haven't had my sins Forgiven, and, 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 and if that's you, and you, 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 you want that, and, and I want you to have a look at something. I want you to look at the invitation that comes to you in the passage itself. Look at verse 17. It says, and let anyone who hears, let everyone who hears, let, if, if, if you're hearing this morning that you'd be on the outside if Christ came, then, then let him who is thirsty, let him, let him and come, and, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I say to you today that if Christ came and you know that you're going to be on the outside, then, then come to Christ, believe on Him, call on Him. And He will give you the glorious hope that He has promised to those who believe in Him. And take a look at it um, in, in the words of Jesus that He spoke to that woman at the well. Everyone, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them there will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If you come to Christ today, He will resurrect you to give you a relationship and He will give you the hope of the second resurrection. It will be endless, eternal glory and paradise where there is no curse and you will see Jesus face to face and we will serve the Christ together at His throne in endless glory. It will just be visions and visions of rapture. It's true. It's true. It's coming. Where will you be? Second. Are you longing for it, brother and sister? Are you longing? Well, did you know that the Holy Spirit's longing for it? That spirit, the spirit of Christ that lives in you, longing for Christ to bring this. The spirit says, come. The bride, who's the bride? That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's those who have had the spirit and, and have been firstly resurrected. We're saying, come, 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 Lord Jesus. Verse 20 with, in, 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 with, with John, come, Lord Jesus if, if, if when Christ comes, he brings this resurrected universe, it should be, there should be this cry within us that just says, come, Lord. The Spirit says, come. The bride says, come. Remember creation, Romans 8, 19. The creation says, come, Lord, come. Do you think it'll be worth waiting for? Is it worth waiting for? We do need to be patient, don't we? Came across a little story. There was an elderly lady that uh, hobbled out of church one Sunday morning. She's really struggling to walk, legs badly damaged and full of arthritis and stuff like that. Elderly, uh, elderly lady hobbled out of church one Sunday morning and she remarked to the pastor as she tried to make it out the door, she said to him, Pastor, you don't happen to know where I can find some new legs, can you? The pastor thought for a moment and said, Well, not in this world, but you'll get them in the next. Lady, do you mind waiting a while? To which the lady said over her shoulder, I'll wait. That's worth waiting for. It'll be more than, it'll be more than new legs. It'll be more than new legs. So where does that leave us as we close? It's true. There should be a longing. It's not really a should proclaim. It's a must proclaim. Have a look at verse 10. The angel says to John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the scroll because the time is near. Don't, don't, don't conceal it. Then in verse 18 and 19, I warn anyone who hears the words of this prophecy, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described. And verse 19, everyone takes away from the scroll that God will take away from that person. We don't seal it up 
And we don't take away from it because it needs to be proclaimed. And we don't seal it up and we don't add to it because it needs to be proclaimed. This is the truth. This is what we're looking forward to. And perhaps we could just hear these words this morning. And for God's people, they will hear these words one day from Jesus face to face. That when he comes again in, in Matthew 25, it says, when he comes, he'll say to his people, come, come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you before the creation of the world. Are you looking forward to hearing those words from your Lord one day? And so the book closes. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen? Amen. I'll ask you to stand and we're going to close out our service in song and worship and You'll notice in that passage it said, worship God, worship God. And we'll do that in song now. And We're just going to sing of the blessed assurance that is ours. And uh, we're going to sing the, uh, the, the City Aligned version. Won't you stand?